What if you could design the perfect sales process for your product or service, where your ideal customer is banging down your door, begging to work with you, where you have virtually zero churn because all of your prospects are qualified leads. And then as they come into your company as customers, they're also qualified. And so there's no buyer's remorse. There's no haggling uh, about price or things like that. They're all qualified and eager to work with you. And where there's healthy, mutual expectations, where they have healthy expectations about what you do and what you offer and vice versa. That would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? Well, in this episode, I'm going to break down three of my top takeaways from my very favorite book on sales in the world, and we'll walk through together how you can incorporate those into your own company's sales process. Welcome back to the Honest Marketing Podcast, where you learn proven strategies to grow your business without selling your soul. I'm your host, Travis Albritton, and today we're talking about sales. Now, you might be asking, Travis, why are we talking about sales on a marketing podcast? I thought this was about marketing. Well, sales and marketing are really two sides of the same coin. And so the way that I like to think about these two things and how they play well together is that marketing is about exposure. It's about getting the word out there about who you are and what you do. You're you're essentially informing the general public, the general populace, and specifically your ideal customer avatars that you exist and that you're here to help. And marketing is all about positioning your brand in such a way that when someone forms an opinion about you, it's a positive one. So it's not just about brand awareness, but it's also positive brand affinity. Those are legally, you know, buzzwords for the industry and affinity being that they have a positive impression of you, right? You want to have a good impression. You don't want to be the wish of your industry. You want to be the apple of your industry. So that's what marketing does. But marketing on its own will not grow your company. You also need sales. And sales is not a used car salesman, you know, just berating people on the parking lot until they agree to purchase a lemon and walk off with regret. That's not what sales is at all. Sales is identifying a need in someone's life and then offering something more valuable to them as a solution than what they're giving you in return. So sales, you're really just trading things. They're trading you money in exchange for a product or a service is going to make their life better. That's all that sales is. And so it's not inherently manipulative. It's not overly persuasive or toxic or any of the things that are typically associated with sales, though there's certainly enough of that on the internet. But for our intents and purposes, sales is simply a transaction takes place between your company and another party. And so when those two things are working in concert together, you're raising awareness, you're raising positive brand affinity about your company, and then you also have a process to take people through when they express interest in working with you to get them from just starting out to, I am now a customer of your company. Both of those things are vitally important, and we want to have integrity and just display honesty throughout that process. So that's why we want to talk about it on this podcast, and I want to share with you three of my top takeaways from my favorite book on sales ever written, Integrity Selling. So Integrity Selling for the 21st century, got it right here in my hands, How to Sell the Way People Want to Buy by Ron Willingham. And the reason that I love this book on sales is because it starts with the premise that we are going to have integrity, that we're going to be honest, that we're going to be customer focused instead of business focused with our sales process. That it's not about how do we extract every ounce of you know credit card out of our customers' wallets, but it's how can we show up to serve and then in doing so, really create a valuable scenario for both parties. So I want to share three of my top takeaways. I had a hard time even drilling it down to three. It's really a phenomenal book. I encourage you to read it if you're an entrepreneur, if you're in marketing, uh, if you're in sales, just a phenomenal book and really lays, 
lays out a complete framework for how to think about sales as someone that wants to lead with value and lead with integrity. Okay. But I had to break it down to three because three is a great number. And so here are my three of my top takeaways from the book. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through each of these things and I'm going to explain what they are. And then we're also going to talk through what it would look like to incorporate that into your business. So my first takeaway from the book, Integrity Selling is interview with no predetermined outcome interview with no predetermined outcome. So this is when you first start a conversation with someone that could become a customer and you're in the exploratory phase of discovering where they are in the process of their journey with whatever it is that you do. And so this usually takes place in an interview. And if you're in B2B sales where it's much more relational and you're actually talking to people and hopping on Zoom with people or doing high ticket offers, then you're going to be talking to people. You're going to be talking to people before they buy a product or service. If you are selling a lower ticket offer, then that interview would simply be done in your sales copy. Make sure you go listen to the episode I did with Brittany McBean, where we talk all about sales copy and how to do that effectively. But this interview is a, a conversation that goes back and forth between you as the salesperson or the person selling your product and the person on the receiving end that's considering making a purchase from your company and doing business with you. Now, when you show up to that conversation with the leverage that you do not need their money, you are only there to help them. That completely changes the game. Okay, that completely changes the game. It completely changes your posture. It completely changes the tone of the entire sales conversation. If you're showing up and saying, listen, I am just interested in helping you. That may mean doing business with me and my company, but it may not. And I am open to both possibilities and I'm only interested in exploring what's gonna be best for you. How would you feel if a company did that as you were considering a purchase from them? Would you feel respected? Would you feel listened to? Would you feel considered? Would you trust that company if you in the end decided that you did wanna do business with them? Of course, of course you would because you would feel like they are not just showing up trying to convince you to give you, give them money, but that they truly have your best interest at heart. Now, here's the thing, that it has to actually be true. Like you actually have to show up with that integrity to say, I'm willing to let this sale walk away if it's not in the other person's best interest. And so when we're talking about interviewing with no predetermined outcome, when it comes to strategy calls, sales calls, typically the MO is let's kind of listen to what your problems are. And then let me read through a sales script to convince you to buy the product, whether or not I feel like it's the best fit for you or not, because that's the script. You read the script, you do the script, you make sales, the whole world spins around. But to make this paradigm shift, it really requires showing up without a predetermined outcome in mind, right? Where you're just exploring what this could look like for both parties and really drawing out from the person you're talking to or interacting with what the real problem is. And sometimes this requires asking questions and follow-up questions to really dig down to what is the core problem they're dealing with that they're hoping to, to solve. And you will intuitively know, based on your industry and your expertise and what you do, what those core problems are, if you know your product really well, okay? So like for me, in my business as a podcast production agency, the core problems typically come down to, we need a holistic strategy to start creating content for the internet. And we don't have the expertise to do that in-house. And we know that exists somewhere, but we want to do this, but we also want to do it well. We want to make sure that it ties back to our own KPIs and how we're making money. And we want this to be a, a net positive for the business. And we feel like a podcast is a great way to do that. 
But at the core of that is we have a message that we want to get out to raise awareness about our company. That's the core need. And then the podcast is just a tool that you can use to attack that core need in order to help uh, create a solution for it. And so I'm listening whenever I do interviews with potential clients for some of those key things that will clue me in that this is a person that actually has a need that I solve. If they don't, then I just say, listen, a podcast could be great. And there's nothing wrong with having a podcast, but you may want to do these things first. That might move the needle more for you in terms of sales, in terms of revenue, in terms of building your brand than having a podcast at this time. And I will say that knowing full well that I'm letting a sale walk away, knowing that, hey, they may have even shown up and wanted to give me money. But if I know it's in their best interest to do something different, then that is where coming into an interview with no predetermined outcome in mind comes into play. Okay, so that's the first takeaway. The second takeaway builds on that, and that is to be a fiduciary for your prospects. Now, what does that word fiduciary mean? So back in 2008, when the housing crisis happened here in the United States, and there was a lot of uh, ripple effects with the stock market and financial investing, it became much more common knowledge that money managers, people that manage your investments and your stocks and things like that, would not necessarily sell you packages and options based on what was best for you, the person whose money they were managing, but on what was best for them, that there'd be certain mutual funds, certain indexes, certain offers that would make them more money. And it wasn't necessarily done to help you increase your investments as much as possible. So then there was a shift and now a new type of money manager emerged called a fiduciary. And a fiduciary is legally obligated to do what is best for you. So small tweaks like before uh, someone as a money manager could buy a stock and I'm totally oversimplifying this, but just for the sake of the illustration, I'll break this down. Before they could buy a stock on your behalf, they they would have to make sure that it was actually in your best interest for what they knew, and they were acting as you, that they were doing exactly what you would do, irregardless of how much they would be compensated. And so compensation packages were restructured, and whole you know, entire new brokerages were built on this new foundation of, we're going to be a fiduciary, we're going to do what's in your best interest, even if it comes at our expense, because that's ultimately how this thing is going to work and how you are going to trust us with your money and how we are going to be able to build a long-term sustainable business. And it worked because who would you rather give your money to, to manage it? Someone who's only going to sell things and offer things based on their commission structure or people that are going to try and uh, help manage your money in a way that increases your return as much as humanly possible. The latter, right? So when you are in a sales conversation, You want to be a fiduciary for your prospect. You want to be putting yourself in their shoes and speaking for them. And so how this works, if you can just picture this, imagine you're at a sales table, you're you're having a sales conversation, you're on opposite sides of the table and you're lobbing things back and forth. You're negotiating, right? But rather than lobbing back and forth, uh, okay, do you do this? Yes, we do this. Okay, can you help me with this? Yes, no, what about this? Rather than being opposed to each other, what if you came around the table and now you're sitting next to each other looking at the problem together? Completely changes the picture, right? So now, again, you are not selling someone something they don't need. You have come around from your position as the party on the other side to join them on their side of the table and look at the problem together and say, what's really going on here? And how do we really discover what it is that you need in order to solve this problem? Again, totally changes the game. When you're thinking about sales and you can do this just in a Zoom conversation when you're talking through, okay, well, walk me through 
X. Walk me through what this would look like for you. Um, you know, how is this problem manifesting in your business? Oh, I could totally understand that. We've seen that over here. And you, you're building rapport, you're building trust because you're not just coming out and saying, I have a product I want to sell you, but you're really taking the time to get to know what their needs are so that you, with your wisdom and expertise, can give them the best answer, even if it's not you. Even if you are not the answer for what is ultimately best for them. Now, if you're a salesperson, you're thinking, that's great and all, but is this really going to help me make more sales? And the answer is yes, 100%. That counterintuitively, when you stop approaching sales conversations from a sales-first mentality, but rather approach them from a client-first mentality or prospect-first mentality, counterintuitively, you will sell more things. And the reason is because when people are coming into a sales process, they already have a wall up. They're already guarded. They're already trying to brace against whatever magic persuasive words that you have in your sales script. That's the posture they have. But as soon as you reverse those expectations and and come in and say, I'm not here to sell you, I'm here to help you. And whether you buy something from me or not, I'm still gonna show up in the same fashion. Now those guards start coming down and they're actually opening openly engaged in a dialogue with you. And then guess what happens when they decide, actually, I do need to solve this problem. They're gonna choose you. Why? Because they trust you. Because they've seen you play out in real time what it's like to interact with somebody who truly has their best interest in mind, okay? So number one takeaway, interview your prospects with no predetermined outcome. Don't come in thinking this has to result in a sale or it's a failure. Don't think about it like that. You're simply helping connect with someone who could be a potential client. Number two, be a a fiduciary (laughs) for your prospect. So come in to the sales conversation thinking what is best for you, not as what best not what's best for me because what's best for you as the salesperson, as the business owner is I get more money. I get some more products, some more services. So not thinking about it like that, but what is the best for you as the prospect? And then number three, this is the thing that uh, really has reshaped, I think the way I think about sales the most. And that is when to introduce your offer. So in the world of direct marketing or direct response or performance marketing, it's all about how do I interrupt your pattern of behavior, drive you over to a sales page, and then very quickly convince you to give me money in exchange for something, right? And then you track how many clicks did I get? How much did I pay-per-click? How much did I earn? What was my average cart value? And then you do a return on investment analysis and say, did I make more money than I spent? But the problem there is that it's very transactional and it does not build the kind of connection that leads to customers that keep coming back and buying more. And those customers tend to be undereducated about what you do and how you can help them. So here are the things that need to happen from integrity selling, which I have put into practice and wholeheartedly endorse and agree with, uh, is you do not even extend an offer or offer a solution to the prospect's problem until these four criteria are met. If you do that, you're jumping the gun and we'll talk about why. The first thing that needs to happen before you even start talking about pricing, start talking about packages, start talking about options, offers. The prospect needs to admit they have a need that they want solved. If the person you're talking to does not admit that they have a need that they need solved or want solved, it's done. The sales process is over. You're not selling them anything, right? Like selling ice to Eskimos. If they have no expressed need to solve that problem, they're like, I got ice everywhere. Why am I gonna pay you for ice? It's a done deal. The sale is dead. Number two, they need to agree that they're open to solutions to fix that problem. Sometimes people have a problem and they're not even interested in solving it. 
They're just like griping about it. They're just like talking about it. They're just like, oh man, you know, I wish such and such would happen or man, Facebook's changing the algorithm again. What was us? Unless they're open to seeking solutions for that problem, there's no desire to actually spend money to fix it, okay? So they have to acknowledge they have a need that they want it solved. And then they also have to acknowledge that they're open to solutions. Now here is where most people go astray. They immediately jump to say, okay, you haven't felt need, you're open to solutions. So boom, here's my solution. But that's an assumption. You've actually taken a leap from they're open to a solution and you're trying to convince them to be open to your solution. So the third thing that needs to happen before you even start talking about what you do from an offer standpoint is they need to agree to talk to you about a solution. Now, this all happens in that interview where you're building rapport, you're getting to know them, you're, you're dialing down to what is their biggest need that you can solve for them. But unless they agree that they're actually interested in hearing about a solution from you, any talk of an offer or a product or service is premature, right? Like imagine if you are having a conversation with somebody, let's say you're buying a car, you go to an auto dealer, you've expressed intent, you have a need, you need a vehicle, and you are, you are open to solutions, you're open to purchasing a vehicle. Now let's assume that you get to the car dealership and you start talking with a salesperson and then they just cut you off. They're like, boom, I know exactly what you need. You need this. You need this new Mustang. It's epic. It's awesome. And they didn't even take the time to hear that you actually have five kids <laughs> and you're trying to find something that you can all drive around in together. Mustangs don't have seven seats. Okay. So until they agree to talk to you about a solution, you have not done enough work to build the trust to say, I'm actually able to offer you this solution in a way that's going to help the conversation move along. Until you've crossed that threshold, it's not a sales conversation yet. Like don't get into that mindset yet. But once they do make that, flip that switch, and they're like, you know what? I am open to a solution and I'm open to hearing more about your solution. What can you do for me? And it could simply be that. That's, that's all you're looking for is for them to say, what can you do for me? Or what do you do? Or how do you help people? That's them verbally saying, I'm interested in hearing about a solution from you. And then the fourth thing, and this is really practical, but we can miss it because we get really, really excited when we get a hot lead. The person you're speaking to and interacting with confirms that they can make purchase decisions. This is one that I have uh, omitted to my own chagrin, to my, at my own expense. Not every person that you're talking to is going to be in the position to actually sign the contract and give you the credit card information to start the process of buying your product or service. So you want to make sure as you're talking with this person and figuring out what they're, where they're at and what they need, that you identify those people. If it's not the person you're talking to, who in the company needs to be involved in this purchasing decision? Who's ultimately going to sign the contract? Who's going to give you the credit card information? Who's going to pay you for your product or service? You need a list of those people. You need to identify who those people are, who those decision makers are in the company, because until you do that, you can have a great one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody, identify needs. They're open to solutions. They're open to your solution. You start talking about offers and things you can do to help them in their company. And they say, great, now we need to convince my manager. Now we need to convince the CEO. Now we need to convince so-and-so. And you actually have to start the whole process over again and guess what? They might have competing priorities where the person that initially said, yes, we need what you offer. The second person, now they have their own set of priorities and the things they're looking for and the things they're interested in. And so before you even get to the place of offering something, make sure I identify all those people that need to be involved in making that purchasing decision, weigh all of their competing priorities, the things that they're looking for, the things they want, 
overcoming any objections. And then once collectively they said, we're interested in you providing a solution for this problem that we recognize, that is when you start getting into sales mode and you say, okay, this is what we do. This is how we help people. Here are our packages, but here's the one I recommend for you based on these needs that you've identified that you want fixed. Do you have any questions? So those are the four things that need to take place before you switch into offer mode, before you start talking about your solution. Number one, your prospect needs to admit that they have a need they want solved, first and foremost. Second, they agree that they are open to solutions. They actually want to solve the problem. Number three, they agree to talk to you about a solution. And then number four, they confirm that they can make purchase decisions. Once all those four boxes are checked, then you move into offer mode, where you start crafting the offer for them based on their needs and based on what they have said they want fixed in their life or in their business or their company, if you're in a B2B space. So if you just take those three things that we talked about and implement them in your sales process, both from a mindset standpoint, from a process standpoint, and just from just a vibe of like, as a sales team, we're here to help people. We're not here to sell people. If you can make that pivot and shift into this way of thinking, it's gonna drastically increase the number of things that you sell. Because now when people interact with you in your company, with your sales team, they don't think, oh yeah, that's the company that's trying to sell me things before they even know if I need it. They're gonna think about you and your company. Those are the people that help me. Those are the people that helped me through this process, helped me understand what my options were, helped me to discover what my real felt needs were, because sometimes there's several layers deeper than we acknowledge. And they were there to help me regardless of whether I gave them money. And that builds trust. That's an authentic connection that you cannot replicate elsewhere, okay? So those are my top three takeaways from the book, Integrity Selling. It's my favorite book of all time on sales. I highly recommend that you go and pick it up. I'll leave an Amazon link in the episode description below. So if you wanna go and purchase it, get it on Kindle, whatever, I highly recommend it. And I'll probably do another episode in the future, digging into more takeaways from this book. But hopefully this gave you uh, some really great things to latch onto, some really tangible concepts and practices that if you're involved in the sales process at your company at all, whether it's you actually doing the sales or you're managing a team of salesperson or marketers, or you're trying to figure out how do we mesh these things together, these takeaways should really help you with that. So if you loved this episode, I would love to hear what your number one takeaway is. You can leave a comment below the YouTube video. Uh, version of this episode. If you live on, you know, listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just hop over to YouTube, Honest Marketing Podcast, and leave a comment. I'd love to interact with you there. And until next week, be honest. (laughs) 